This is episode 480 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, many of us are confused and conflicted about what it means to be filled by the Spirit. Is it a charismatic thing, or is it for everyone? Is it something that comes naturally as part of our salvation, or do we have to ask for this filling? And if we do have to ask, are there conditions that must be met? And if so, what are these conditions? Ah, there's so many questions and so much confusion, but not today. Join with us as we learn how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as we learn again how to leave Laodicea behind. If you would, go ahead and turn to uh, Acts chapter 1. As I shared with you a few minutes ago, uh, we're going to be having our praise and worship time at the end of the message, and as I get through this, you'll uh, you'll understand why. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at God's Word first. As a Baptist, former Baptist, uh, as non-charismatics, with most of you are in here, we have a tendency of playing down the Holy Spirit simply because we've seen certain abuses or things we feel uncomfortable with maybe in our church experience. We've seen prophecies that are given by so-called prophets that don't come true. We've seen uh, misuse of tongues or stuff of that nature. We've had questions such as, if you have a gift of healing, how come you don't go to the hospital and heal everybody? Why is there still a Levine's Children's Center if somebody has that gift of healing? We have listened to many, many non-charismatic or Pentecostal pastors for decades that have gone through great detail trying to show us that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, at least the sign gifts, all ceased around the close of the canon, or the close of the Scripture, about A.D. 100. We proof text it in 1 Corinthians, where it talks about love, and talks about that we see, like, in a mirror dimly, but, you know, when the perfect comes, then everything else will be fulfilled, but prior to that, it all set, set aside, and so we interpret the perfect being the Word of God versus the perfect being Christ. And so, because of that, And your experience may be different, but because of that, we understand God the Father. He's the Sistine Chapel guy. He's fire and smoke and brimstone, and you know he's the the Father that we were afraid of in the Old Testament, but was revealed to us in the New Testament by Jesus as actually the Father. And and we can't really relate to him that much. And we pray to him sometimes not like a dad, but we pray to him like you know a formal father. And Jesus, we got. We've seen the movies about Jesus. We read his accounts in Scripture. We, we love his sense of humor and the way he addresses his critics. And we you know, just hold on to the red print because, after all, this is Jesus. This is somebody we can relate to. It is somebody that was basically metamorphosized into someone like us using Mary's womb as like a changing chamber, and and we we understand all of that, feel more comfortable with Jesus. The Holy Spirit? That's just just, just strange. I mean, who is the Holy Spirit? Doctrinally, we understand that the Holy Spirit is God. He is fully God. He is the the whole three-in-one, the whole Trinity idea. We've spent a lot of time last year and the year before 
preaching about the Holy Spirit, but still, many times we have a hard time seeing him as a personality like we see the Father and the Son, which he is, and a separate person like we see the Father and the Son, yet exactly like the Father and the Son, and we more view him as a power emanating from the Father or the Son. We do this when we pray. Lord, would you send us the power of the Holy Spirit? It's like it's some sort of separate entity or some sort of something outside of him. Oh, I will. Here is this Holy Spirit power versus, Lord, send us the Holy Spirit who comes in power. Then we have a tendency of realizing that, uh, or we fail to realize that much of Jesus' ministry pointed to Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was to come. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about how we're to respond to each other, but he kept promising them, especially after the transfiguration, that when the Holy Spirit comes, things are going to be totally different. You should trace just the phrase Spirit or the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, Jesus has ascended, or Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's been around for 40 days. The Feast of Pentecost is coming. He is getting ready to speak to his disciples these last few words. They're gathered together, not knowing what's going to happen. It says, chapter 1, verse 1, The former account I made of Theopolis, this is, of course, Luke writing this, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so even the commands that Jesus is giving to his apostles here, Jesus says, comes through the Holy Spirit, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The disciples, of course, didn't get it. The disciples still thought earthly kingdom. They thought we want the right guy in the White House and we want to be able to take over the Senate and the uh, House of Representatives and we wanted to make sure that politically we're exalted and Rome is put down. Verse 4 says, After being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait from the promise of the Father. Of all the things he could have told them, this is what he tells them. He could have told them, I want you to preach about me defeating death and a resurrection from the dead. I want you to preach about the coming kingdom of God. He began his ministry by preaching about the kingdom of God, but at the end of his ministry, when he had this last opportunity to talk to this assembled group of chosen disciples and the entourage, he didn't even talk about that as much. Instead, he says, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you've heard from me, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I can imagine disciples going, what does that mean? I mean, we debate about it now. What does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? You're baptized by the Holy Spirit when you first come to Christ, and the Holy Spirit resides in you as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, something separate and after your salvation experience where you now are filled, are given more of the Holy Spirit than you were given when you first got saved? Uh, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit only come by the laying out of hands? Do you have to speak in tongues in order for that to happen? And Christianism splits based on all these unanswerable questions. We're not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When that happens or how that happens, what we're talking about is a filling of the Holy Spirit. 
which happens, should happen all the time. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit hourly. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit 16 years ago and haven't had that happen until now because of the carnal life in which we live. You guys wait here until the Father's promise comes and you're going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed. You're going to be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. Really soon, not many days from now. Well, Lord... Is it right now you're going to establish the kingdom of Israel? God, really? I'm trying to tell you about this amazing thing that's going to take place where God himself, the third person of the Trinity, equal with the Father and equal with the Son, will no longer meet with you in some physical tabernacle in the wilderness once a year, but is actually going to live in you and be with you and empower you. So much so that I earlier said, it is better for you that I go away, that I'm physically taken away from you because once I'm gone, I will send the comforter, the helper, the paraclete who will be in you forever. Therefore, when they come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority then what are we supposed to do? But you, you shall receive dudamas, explosive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And based on that power, and piggybacking off your message last week, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Because the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts chapter 2, we know what happens. The day of Pentecost rolls around. All of a sudden, this promise is fulfilled, and they're all up there, and there's 120 of them probably, and there's this sound like a 747, and these cloven tongues of fire come on top of them, and, and they're all speaking languages that they didn't know, and yet all these people heard these languages, Mesopotamians from Judea and Pontus and Cappadocia that are all there for the... For the um, the feast at that time for Pas or for Pentecost, and then Peter stands up and he preaches this amazing message, 297-word message, if you take out the Scripture verses, that you and I could actually read in less than four minutes. If you take your time and emphasize each word like James Earl Jones and, and preach it as dynamically as you can, it takes six minutes to preach. And at the end, 3,000 people are like, what's going on? And this is incredible. What, what do we need to do? Verse 36 of chapter 2. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, you need to pray the sinner's prayer. Here's a box of tithing envelopes. You need to read your Bible every day, beginning the book of John. You need to join with a local church. You need to, to share your faith. You need to pray. You need to do all the kind of stuff that we talk about today. It's not what he said. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive eternal life. Well, it's not what it said. That's implied. That's not what it says. And you shall live your best life now. Their best life now. The only people living your best life now are people who are lost. That's not what he says. 
He says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. First message preached under the unction of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved, and the, the invitation, the crux of that message is, if you come to faith in Christ, if you repent of your sins, if you receive the remission that Christ provided for you by his blood, you'll receive what we just received. You'll receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, and as many as our Lord God will call. And the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 and continuing is this picture, this historical account of how these people just like us lived in a hostile environment with the gift of the Holy Spirit. More than just theologically and doctrinally receiving the Holy Spirit because the book of Ephesians says it's my deposit and my inheritance, a guarantee of my future inheritance to come. No Holy Spirit, no salvation. I've got that. But I spend most of my life working in the flesh and most of my life doing the things that I want to do, most of my life calling my own shots, most of my life not having this power, this, this dudamas miracle working power, this peace and this joy that's promised me that should be mine because God himself is living in me. So I decided to find probably the most non-charismatic guy we would all know, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, the former shoe salesman. D.L. Moody, the guy who butchers the English language worse than I do. D.L. Moody, who God used in a miraculous way. D.L. Moody, what do you know about the Holy Spirit? What do you know about the power that rests in us when you surrender your life and ask the, the Lord to fill you to the point of overflowing? We've already been baptized, which is immersed in him. Filling comes when the Holy Spirit now takes what's control of what's on the inside. D.L. Moody, what do you have to say about that? Here's his quote. I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking, well, that sounds like America today, doesn't it? And everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Ghost will come in and fill every corner of our hearts. Once this is gone, then there's room for him. Continuing. But if we are full of pride and conceit, and ambition, and self-seeking, and pleasure, and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying to God to fill him when he is full already of something else. End of the quote. Before we pray that God will fill us, I believe we ought to pray for him to empty us. Now think that through. Think that through, assuming that you would like to have the kind of life that had a manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit like D.L. Moody did. A guy selling shoes who somebody, Sunday school teacher came and won to the Lord and literally brought great revivals not rivaled until Billy Graham a century later. If I am filled with me, then although I may possess the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is obviously in me because I'm a Christian, but if I am filled with me, 
My desires, my wants, my ambition, my day is always focused on how I'm going to make money, how I'm going to promote myself, how many likes I'm going to get on Facebook, all the stuff about me. Then there's no room for him. But once I surrender myself to him, once I remove and empty myself of the things that are just carnal, then all of a sudden there's room for him to fill me. Every room I open up in my life to him, he comes in and he sets straight and he fills. So the question is, how do we do that? How is that process done? It's not a once and for all process. Every time we come together and have a worship time, I always pray, and I pray this way. I say, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, would you take authority over Satan and his demons? Would you bind and rebuke them or cast them out or make them flee from our gathering right now? We want to declare this place to be a sanctuary of your Holy Spirit living in us. Do you remember that? I didn't pray that way today when we started. That's something anyone can do. That's something you can do. That's something I can do. Because what I'm doing is I'm simply asking the Lord based on his authority, not my authority. I mean, his authority. I'm just flesh and bones filled with the Spirit, but he is God himself. God, will you take care of the spiritual things? That's why it says that if we submit ourselves to God and we resist the devil, he's going to flee. He's not going to flee because I'm tough or because I'm resisting the devil stronger than somebody else. It's because I have met God's mandate. I've submitted myself to God, and therefore I'm resisting the devil. And because of that, God promises to make him flee. Because of the spirit inside of me, because of the authority of Christ, not because of me. None of this has to do with you. This has to do with asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, to let us bear his fruit, to use us like he talks about in John chapter 15. I mean, the whole purpose of us being a branch connected to Christ the vine is to bear fruit for the Father's glory. How much fruit do we bear? Well, not a whole lot if we're filled with ambition and pride and anger and bitterness and and all those other things that rob us of being able to bear his fruit. Fruit. How is someone filled by the Holy Spirit? I taught on this a year ago in August, and it dawned on me this week as I was studying, especially since our nation's had a rather turbulent week, that um, it's one of the key elements that, you know, had we got it last August, our lives would be different today. So we're going to talk about it one more time, on how we go about being filled by the Holy Spirit. And this is something that we're commanded to do. It's something that you can be filled by His Spirit, and in a moment you can lose it. I mean, you can be so close to the Lord, just praising Him sitting at your desk, and all of a sudden there's this pop-up that happens on your computer for a porn site, and there's nobody around, and you click it, and you will find that your fellowship with the Holy Spirit is gone. You ever notice? And it doesn't have to be that bad. It can be anger or bitterness. It can be words that come out of your mouth. I mean, it's very easy to grieve him. Because he is a personality. He is a person. And it is also very easy to ask him to fill us because he's commanded us, the Lord has commanded us to be filled with his spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit 
just like our salvation is based on faith. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on some esoteric experience. It's not like once I was filled by the Holy Spirit, we listened to a testimony. I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me, and it was incredible. There was this bright light to shine in my room, and, and I felt these warm, you know, little goosebumps all on me. And, and all of a sudden, I found myself being dropped down to my knees, and my life's been changed ever since. Well, that's wonderful for you. But what happens is we assume if that doesn't happen to me, then that's I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's done by faith. Some people have incredible salvation experiences by faith. Man, I was I was a, I was a pimp and a drug dealer, and I you know I drank seventeen fifths of Jack Daniel every single day and snorted cocaine from morning till night. And then I asked Jesus to come into my heart, and I gave it all up and started preaching the gospel the next day. That's great for you. I um, I Karen's testimony. I was a young girl, and I understood my lost state. And I asked my dad after church one day what uh, what it meant to be a Christian, and he sat down on the edge of my bed with me and led me to Christ. Well, you can't really be saved. What a boring testimony! You don't get the you don't get to go to the conferences. You know, you gotta have something incredible and exciting and doesn't work that way because the first testimony I gave you got saved, person got saved by faith. What happens afterwards, that just happens. Karen got saved by faith also as a young girl. So as our salvation is appropriated into our life by faith, so is being filled by the Spirit. Here's what he says here. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, how did we receive him? By faith. So walk in him. How? The same way as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, in the same way you receive Christ Jesus, now walk in him by faith. And though we are filled by the Holy Spirit by faith and faith alone, just like with salvation, it is important and vital for you and I to recognize that are certain things we can do to contribute ourselves, to contribute in preparing ourselves to receive his spirit. There are certain requirements for salvation. There's acknowledgments that need to be made. There's a confession of sins and stuff of that nature. It works exactly the same way if you decide that I don't want to live the self-life anymore. I actually want to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through these four steps and then the promise and the command and then... um, uh, we're going to get an oppor- you're going to get an opportunity yourself to actually place this into practice today. Step number one, it's very simple. You must have a desire to, to live a life that pleases the Lord. If you don't have a desire to live a life that pleases the Lord, you can, you're not going to please the Lord, and you can forget about the Holy Spirit blessing you and overwhelming you and showing you incredible things when you treat them with such disrespect. I know that I have an immoral, sinful, sexual relationship with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, but I'm not going to quit that because I'm afraid they'll leave me. And so, yes, Lord, I want to be filled, but I refuse to live a life that's pleasing to you according to Scripture. It ain't going to happen. You know, I've, I have bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in my heart, or I have pride, or I'm totally devoted to the money or whatever other idol I have in my life. I call my own shots. I refuse to bow my knee to anyone. But Lord, 
I want you to fill me with your spirit so I can do your bit. It ain't going to happen. It's not. It's the same way, you know, when it comes to salvation. And I refuse to repent of these sins. These other ones, okay. These over here, not so much. It doesn't happen that way. Scripture says that there has to be a hunger. You know, one of the Beatitudes, he says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And true righteousness only comes from him. And if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, those people shall be filled. Blessed are those who, you know, haphazardly, whenever they have the time, when nothing else is going on, when the football season's over and they made enough money for that day and they've watched all the TV they wanted to, if there's any time left in their day, maybe they'll just give God a tip. And you expect to be filled with righteousness? There's a principle that runs all through Scripture. If you are faithful with little, God knows you'll be faithful with much. True? And if you're not faithful with little, you and I wouldn't even trust somebody with more. Again, an example I gave a while ago. You have a business, and you have the receipts of the business. You made $800 today. And you hand it to one of your employees, and you say, can you just take it down to Wells Fargo and drop it in a night depository box for me? And they say, sure, but instead they left it on the top of their car, and the money was gone. And they came back and said, hey, I meant to do that. Sorry, I, I, was, I was busy on my phone. I put it on top of my car, drove off. I don't know what the money is. Okay. Well, if you didn't fire them, would you let them do it the next day? I mean, if you did, you're crazy. I mean, nobody would do that. You've proven yourself unfaithful with this. I'm not, especially the next day is a Saturday and you made $1,500. Works exactly the same way spiritually. You must have a desire to live a life that pleases the Lord, which means everything's on the table. Everything is on the table. It's you and it's him. Number two, you must be willing. Key word is willing to surrender your life totally and irrevocable to the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you? Probably not. Will you mess up? My personal experience is absolutely. But I have to be willing Lord, I want to give it all to you, and I know I'm probably going to mess up, and I know when I do mess up, I, I, I know you'll convict me of that, and I do know that, that once you convict me of that, that I can pray and I can ask forgiveness and, and receive this intimacy with you, but I am willing, God, to give everything to you, my money to you, my family to you, my life to you, my future to you, my own desires to you. Because I'm here to want to build your kingdom. I want to bear your fruit. I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about that surrendering to him. Remember? I beseech you. I urge you. I beg you, therefore, brethren. He's talking to Christians here. People just like himself. Because how good God is. I'm begging you to do this because not of the judgment of God or the fear of God, but of the mercies of God that you, not me, not us, but you present your bodies, your flesh, the thing that our spirit fights with all the time as a living sacrifice, something that we've given to someone else, something that will die, something that belongs to the person we're sacrificing to. But Lord, I'm, I messed up my life. I'm, there's nothing in me left to give to the Lord. I'm, I'm 65 years old and I've 
And I've lived my squandered, all my good years, and all I have left is my broken down years. And, and Lord, will you really accept what I'm going to give you? Yes. And I will consider it holy. And this is the one I love and acceptable to God. It doesn't matter what you have done with your life prior to now. It's when you give it to him, he will receive it. It's acceptable to him, which is what we should be doing, which is our reasonable service based on the mercy he's already shown us. So if I do this, God, what's the practical steps? What happens to me? It's really simple. You no longer conform to this world. You don't think like this world. You don't look like this world. You don't act like this world. But you are now transformed. The word is the word we get metamorphosis from by the way you think, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, I have a desire to live a life that is pleasing to you. And I'm willing to surrender my entire life to you, Lord. What, what else do I need to do? It's really simple. You must spend some time and you must confess and repent of any sin that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. Will it be all your sins? Probably not. Lord, uh, we do this, you know, Lord, I, you know, somebody wants to get saved. Well, what you need to do is ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. What sins? Well, ask him. He'll tell you. All right, Lord, you bring to my mind the sins that I need to confess and I will confess those. And there's sins that will come, and some sins don't. don't. I mean, it's not like usually there's this blanket of every single sin you've ever committed will come to your mind, but there's sins that he knows that are strongholds in your life that he knows need to be confessed, and you confess those sins, and then you claim the promise in 1 John 1, 9. It's a conditional promise, an if-then promise. If I meet the condition, then by God's authority, I'll receive the promise. If, here's the condition, I confess my sins. He's good and he's faithful. And because I confess my sins, I can rest assured that he will do what he's promised to do. Then he will forgive our sins and, and here's the second blessing, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And that happens when the Holy Spirit dwells within you. That all of a sudden you're, you feel so close to him, so connected to him, so passionate and in love with him that it changes everything. It's called spiritual breathing. We talked about that. Spiritual breathing is simply this. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm driving in my car and somebody cu cuts me off and I just let out this anger. I was this guttural anger. Oh gosh, I can't believe I did that. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be fellowshipping with the Spirit. And here's this flesh popped up again. Satan starts speaking in the back, in your ear from behind your head. See, told you it wouldn't work. You're not really saved. And, and you can stop that immediately with spiritual breathing. I breathe out, confessing, Lord, forgive me for that. Forgive me for the attitude that I have. I don't even know who that person is, but I pray that you'll bless them today and that you give me victory over this sin. And Lord, more than anything, I want to surrender my life to you and, and, and have intimate fellowship with you again. I'm so sorry that I've let my flesh and my attitude and the way I always do things grieve you. And then you breathe in the promise. Oh, thank you for your fellowship again. Thank you for, for everything that you've done. And it's something that you practice to keep short accounts with God. 
Again, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit because you desire to be filled or you confess your sins or you present yourself as a living sacrifice. It's not what you do. You're filled by faith. And that's faith in the command of God and faith in the promise of God. If God commands something and he gives me a promise based on that command, then it's his integrity that I can hold on to knowing that he'll meet that command or meet that promise. Here's the command. It's really simple. Do not be drunk with wine. Well, that's one command. But instead of that, because there's debauchery in that, be filled with the Spirit. Two commands here. One's negative, one's positive. Negative command gives me a reason why. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with beer or whatever it is, because that just leads to debauchery. That's a command. But instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. That's command number two. And then there's a promise. Now, by the way, what is the will of God according to uh, Ephesians 5.18? Number one, will of God is not to be drunk with wine. Would you agree? I know, but I just like to do that. Well, then you can kiss the Spirit goodbye, because it's one of those sins he probably wants you to confess. Or the other command is, I need to be filled with the Spirit. And it appears that it's really difficult to do both of these at the same time. If one leads to debauchery, the other one obviously doesn't. But the command of God that we're going to be looking at is being filled with the Spirit. That's the command. Now look what it says here in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Again, it's an if-then, if-then dual promise. There's a condition and a promise, condition and a promise. You meet the condition, God fulfills the promise. Here's the condition. Now, this is the confidence, the assurance we have in Christ. This is what I'm banking my life on. I'm banking my life on the fact that what he says in John 14 is true, that he's preparing a place for me in heaven, and if he's preparing a place for me in heaven, he'll receive me unto himself, that where he is, I will be also. I'm banking on that, but I'm also banking on the fact that I had this confidence in him that if I meet the condition, then he promises to fulfill his word. Here's the condition, that if... We ask anything according to his will. Well, what is his will? The Bible's full of that. One of the things in his will is to be filled with the Spirit. If I ask to be filled with the Spirit according to his will, he hears me. He hears that prayer. That prayer pleases him. And if I know that he hears me because I'm asking something according to his will, Whatever we ask, even something like being filled with the Holy Spirit, we know that we have the petitions we have asked for him from him because we're asking according to his will. That's the promise. Now, you can believe his word or not believe his word. You can say, well, that may work for Billy Graham, but it's not going to work for me. Or you can realize that God is not a respecter of persons and the promises he gives one, he gives to all. You must have a desire to live a life that will please the Lord. You must be willing to surrender your life totally and irrevocably to Him. You must confess every known sin that the Holy Spirit calls to your remembrance. And number four, you must ask Him. It's really simple. You asked Him to save you by faith. You asked Him to forgive you of your sins by faith. You asked Him to come into your life by faith. And He did 
And by the same faith, you ask him to fill you, to overwhelm you, to take possession of you by the Holy Spirit. Just as when somebody wants to get saved, we quote some sort of variant of the sinner's prayer, which is nothing more than just kind of an outline to kind of hit all the points. This is the same way. You can pray what you want. This is just a sample prayer, if you mean it in your heart. And it goes like this. Your Father, I need you. I do. I recognize this void in my life. I recognize the fact that I'm not living an abundant life in Christ. I recognize that there are times in my life that I've been closer to you. I've been 10 spiritually in the past, but I'm not. I'm a 7 or a 6 or a 5 compared to what I used to be. And I've been that way for so long, and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired spiritually. Lord, I need you. I hunger and thirst for a more vital relationship with you. I admit that I've been in control of my life. I've called my own shots. I've done what I've wanted to do. And as a result, I've sinned against you because a life of dependency is what you're looking for. Lord, I want to thank you for forgiving my sins through Christ's death on the cross for me. I now confess and I turn from my sins and surrender the control of my life to the Lord Jesus by faith. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit as you commanded me to be filled. It's what you commanded, God, and I believe I'm asking according to your will. You promised to fill me if I ask according to your will. And I pray this in the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, just to demonstrate my faith, I now thank you for filling me with the Holy Spirit and for taking control of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen to me very carefully. It is that simple. The difficult part is your willingness to surrender your life to him and confessing your sins to him and having clear accounts with him because some of the things that he's going to show you that you need to confess are things that you don't want to give up. That's why we still hold on to him. That's why we're still a six or a seven spiritually when we used to be a 10 because we refuse to give those things up. So I have here a little outline. This is just what I've taught on. What I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to take about 10 minutes or so. This is just between you and the Lord. It's not between you and me or anybody else. And I'm going to ask you to do just this. To ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit. To tell Him you have a desire to live a life for Him that you're willing to surrender your life irrevocably to the Lord, but, Lord, that you're scared to do that and you understand what's involved in that. And, Lord, you're going to have to help me be willing and help me follow through with this, but I'm willing to try. Ask him to show you sins in your life that need to be confessed, and you confess those privately where you're at right now. And then ask him, ask him, and you can use this sample prayer here you want or anything that you desire. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. Ask him to change your life and your heart. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for us, and you just, nobody knows what's going on in your life but you. Let's take about 10 minutes or so and uh, see if we can do these on an individual basis, and uh, we'll see what the Lord does. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we're at the point now that it's not just about teaching anymore, it's about incorporating and doing.
Lord, we see what your word says. We see what we're supposed to do. We see what you promised to us. It's just our hesitancy to bend our knee to you. Father, would you speak to us? Would you allow us to experience your spirit in a fresh way? And I'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. So if you would, just spend some time praying to him. All right, so I prayed, I confessed, I feel the same. I didn't know what I expected, but I expected something more than this. Uh, No flashing lights, no warm fuzzies, no nothing. I just feel like the same person I was before. If you remember, faith and feelings are not the same thing. I share this every time that uh, I lead someone to Christ. This is the first thing that I want to teach them. This is the way the Christian life works. You have facts, who's the engine. You have faith, which is the coal car and feeds the engine. And of course, feelings follow as a caboose. The fact is, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and forgive me my sins. The fact is, he is the son of God, seated now at the right hand of the Father, who's conquered death and hell, and he's coming again in all his glory. I believe that. I've placed my faith in that, whether I feel saved or not. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and Christ may feel far away from you. If you basically based everything on your feelings and, you know, if I don't feel saved, I'm not saved, then your spiritual life is anything other than abundant. And here's what Satan does every single time. Satan can't destroy the facts, but what he will do is he will take the caboose and switch places with the engine. So your faith will no longer be based on the facts. They'll be based on your feelings. I don't feel saved, so I must not be saved. I don't feel like God's true to his promise, so he must not be. I don't feel this or feel that. And if I place my faith in my feelings, then you become a Christian narcissist because it's all about you. It's all about how you feel. It's God's only faithful if you feel that way rather than knowing that, that the facts are true. Amen? So I want to encourage you, as your week progresses, to do this daily. Do this as often as you need to. Keep very short accounts with God. Practice spiritual breathing. Um, try to, to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life, because the peace that passes understanding comes from this. The spiritual fruits and spiritual gifts come from this. The joy and the abundant life in Christ comes from this. The promise of Jesus that it was better for him not to be sitting here on the front row in our church service, but actually to ascend to the Father. It's better for us that he's not here because he's going to send the Holy Spirit whom we're asking to fill us becomes real as you practice this spiritual discipline. Amen? All right, in just a moment, Karen's going to come up. We're going to have a time of praise and worship. But before we do, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to live within us, not just doctrinally as a truth, as the guarantee of our future inheritance to come, but also as the one that equips and empowers us 
Because it appears that's exactly what you spent your ministry teaching us, Jesus, especially in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 2 and following, you show us exactly what that looks like. And for most of us, it doesn't. our lives today don't look like their lives back then. And that's not a failure on your part. It's a failure on ours. Lord, would you let the D.L. Moody quote truly resonate with us? Pray to be emptied of everything that grieves the Spirit and then ask to be filled by Him. And we'll thank you for whatever happens in Jesus' name. Amen.